Hello everyone, my name is Margie, as Callum said, and our reading this morning is from the New Testament, from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, on page 1174 in the Bibles in front of you. 1174. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Wow, that's uh, an amazing prayer, isn't it? Going to look at that this morning. Uh, my name's Chris Webb, if you don't know me, one of the ministers here. And we're in a series in Paul's letter um, to the churches around Ephesus. And the main subject of this letter that Paul writes from prison is the church. Um, so last week we were reflecting on how international the church is. And in uh, verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul describes the church as displaying to all the heavenly beings the multicolored wisdom of God. And as he's writing about the church and as he's reflecting on God's great plan to reconcile groups together and all things together, the gospel leads him to pray and emote. And it's a passionate prayer. Uh, Most Jews would have prayed standing up. But Paul says that he kneels, verse 14, before the Father. And there's great intimacy there as well. He's praying to the Father of every family in heaven and earth. So this morning, I want us to look at what he prays for, why it's important, and how we get it. Those are three points that we'll look at this morning. And our aim this morning is that people would experience more of the fullness of Christ. That's what he's praying for. So let's let's dive in to verses 16 and 17, first of all, where he has these first two petitions. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So these first two prayers go together. Strength in the inner being and for Christ to dwell 
in the heart. The heart and the inner being, I guess, are the same thing. And what Paul is really praying for here is for spiritual power to draw on Jesus. He's praying for Christians who have already received Jesus as Lord to draw on the riches that they've received. And this actually requires the powerful work of God's Spirit because drawing on Christ is a spiritual work and it requires the dynamic assistance of God's Spirit. An illustration is needed. It is possible to know that a relative, when she's died, she's put some money in the bank for you. But as you go through life, you enter difficulties, you stop doing things because of your financial difficulties, you don't take holidays, you just get by, but basically you've been living poor. But all the time there was this money in the bank and no one actually realized how much it was. It was a huge sum, way more than, than people imagined. And Paul is saying, this is actually where a lot of Christians are. There are tremendous resources to draw on in Jesus Christ, but Christians are not drawing on them. And Paul wants these Christians to have the spirit-assisted power to draw on the glorious riches we have in Christ. And I want to expand on that as we go through the teaching this morning. Again, in this prayer, we see the family in the Godhead, this great mystery of the three persons of the Trinity. He prays to the Father. He prays for Christ to indwell them and for his riches to be part of their lives. And he prays that the Spirit would enable this to happen. And clearly what the Holy Spirit loves to do is to draw our attention to Christ, to flood like Christ, to help us to draw on Christ so that we can actually live the Christian life. One time when our family was flying back to Thailand, we got stuck in Dubai. The uh, Emirates plane took off late and it meant that we missed our connection and Emirates had to put us up in Dubai in August for three nights, 47 degrees it was, could hardly go outside. Uh, you could only really go outside the, the hotel at night, but we did. Um, we took a bus out into Dubai and what we saw was these magnificently high buildings. The Burj Khalifa, the highest building in the world, almost a kilometer high, and these floodlights lit up the whole city. The purpose of the floodlights, of course, was not to uh, highlight themselves, but to highlight the magnificence of the buildings. Similarly, the role of the Holy Spirit is to draw our attention to the magnificence of Jesus and the dimensions of his love so that we can draw on his riches that he's purchased for us and so that we can fully welcome Jesus into every area of our lives. This touches on a little bit of what he's praying for here. He's also praying that these Ephesians would have the spiritual power to welcome Jesus fully. Let's dive into verse 17 here. He says, I'm praying for this spiritual power for you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When he prays that Christ might dwell in them, 
He's not using a verb that means to inhabit temporarily, but the Greek verb katokei, which means to move in permanently. When someone comes to visit you for a short time, they usually bring their travel bags and they kind of leave their stuff in their bags and try not to disturb the room that you've prepared for them too much. But when people move into a new home permanently, they change the wallpaper, they paint the ceiling, they replace the carpets, they chuck out old furniture, they bring in new furniture. And when the spirit of Christ moves in, he gradually redecorates everywhere, room by room. And this is what Paul is praying for, power to welcome Jesus into every area of their inner lives, their thought lives, their working lives, their sex lives, their financial lives, their social lives. How do I know that? How am I getting the context right? Well, I've read on uh, chapters four to six. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in those chapters, expanding on what he's praying for here. But thirdly, Paul is also praying for these Ephesians to have the power to appreciate God's love for them, not just intellectually, but with their whole being. I pray, he says at the end of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love or rooted and established in love may be able to have the power to comprehend how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. He uses a botanic image, an image from gardening, rooted, and an architectural image, grounded. But both those metaphors emphasize depth. If you want to go deep, if you want to be a deep Christian, you need to be rooted and grounded in love. Paul wants them to be like a well-rooted tree and like a well-built house. But in both cases, the cause of their unseen stability is the love of Christ, an appreciation of the love of Christ. And of course, there he's using the Greek word agape, that self-sacrificing, unique love of Jesus. A Cliff Richard song came to mind this week as I was preparing this. Uh, Of course, he's singing about eros, not agape. Some of the seniors here might recognize it. Maybe you can boogie to it in Connect at some time. But Cliff Richard sings this. You get A in biology. You get A in psychology. You're a whiz in the science class. In a quiz, you're a cinch to a pass. But when you're out with me, you get D. D in love. Smarty cat, you're the teacher's pet. You got brains that you ain't used yet. You can name every president. Yet in school, yes, in school, you're 100%. But when the lights are low, zero, you get D. D in love. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, Cliff's onto something. Because it's very common for us, especially in a kind of conservative Bible teaching church, to know lots of stuff, to know lots of doctrine but to really struggle to grasp the dimensions of Christ's love for us, and therefore to struggle to love others too. Paul is praying for these Christians to grasp his love. And I've been praying, Lord, 
Would you help me to love you? Would you help me to love your people in church? Would you help me to be rooted and grounded in this love? I need strength and I need power for both of these because it's not natural to me. Natural to me is D, D in love. But I want to understand how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. There's a knowing with the intellect and there's an experiencing. There's a knowing that honey is sweet and there's a tasting it. And Paul wants these Christians to know the love of Christ in every way. And now, like Paul, I want to pause. And I want to ask my second question, which is, why is this important, Paul? Why have you stopped the flow of your amazing letter and knelt down and prayed at this point? Why, in verse 19, do you say, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Why are you praying that Christ might dwell in our hearts? Because Christ already dwells in every Christian's heart. And in a sense, every Christian has received the riches of God's grace and his fullness. But we have it at one level, and yet on another level, there is a lack of experience and a lack of grasp. Having something true of you in theory and actually experiencing it in your inner being to empower you is a different thing. Paul wants these people to be authentic, not to just talk a good game, but to live it. Paul knows that we can be Christians who live with an inauthenticity, with a hollowness and a lack of integrity that we can be Christians who talk about his love and sing about his love, but don't really experience it and draw on it. We tend to play the victim. We tend to be so concerned about what other people think. If we really grasp this love, we would be changed. So Paul prays, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, folks, that is a difficult sentence to interpret. I want to tell you about a couple of people who documented how this kind of prayer was answered in their lives. First person is Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher. And when he died, people found sewed into the inner lining of his coat a testimony, a short testimony in French, and the translation of it goes like this. The year of grace, 1654, fire. From about half past 10 at night until half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and mathematicians and the learned, which he was. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, forgetfulness of this world and everything except God. He only is found in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul, righteous father, the world hasn't known you, but now I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. 
That was his testimony sewed into the inner lining of his coat. Pascal was a brilliant mathematician and philosopher. He got A in maths, A in the science class, A in philosophy. But until a point in his life, he got D in experiencing love. But in the year 1654, on that night, everything changed for him, and he received something to do with which Paul is praying for the Ephesians to have. He had believed it in principle. He had been brought up a Christian and always believed the gospel. But now he experienced it in his heart, and he talks about fire. And it gave him an inner authenticity and great power, actually, to be an apologist for the gospel. Let me tell you about someone else. This is uh, Dwight Moody, a Chicago minister. Here is his testimony. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is too sacred an experience for me to name. But I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again, and my sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet from then on, hundreds were converted. Something's happened here. Moody was known for the folksy way he preached. He didn't preach in high language. People saw that he was a man who knew and basked in the love of God. And that gave him a real power and authenticity in his ministry. So Paul is praying for authentic experience. Authenticity is important. And experience of God's love is important. In our more conservative churches where we emphasize Bible teaching and Bible knowledge, we always will do here, we'll always be Bible-centered, there is the tendency to not talk about this life of power. Paul doesn't necessarily, I think, mean having these experiences that I've just described here, but it does mean more than just knowing stuff. There's way more to the Christian life, isn't there, than just knowing stuff and believing some stuff and doing some stuff and preaching some stuff. There is an intimacy, isn't there, that Paul wants us to experience by the power of the gospel. And as we grow in that intimacy and as we grow in power, our influence actually becomes more. Last Sunday night, funny enough, we had a testimony from one of our members, John Schular. And in his testimony, it's a shame it won't be on telly at four o'clock today, but he speaks about a revival in his soul four years ago that powerfully moved him to love the church in a new way. It was a very powerful testimony last Sunday night. And there was an authenticity to what John was saying. Authenticity is important, experience is important, and growth is important. If we are rooted and grounded in love, if we put our inner foundations into the love of God, if we actually do sense the love of Christ, it will change us. It will cause us to grow. In fact, nothing's going to change us more than having this felt sense of the love of Christ for us. 
And if we have this, we're not going to be as needy and as self-absorbed. We're not going to turn every conversation into a conversation about our needs and our experiences. We're going to be genuinely interested in others and able to listen if we're drawing on this love of Christ. We're not going to play the victim so much. We're not going to be as proud or as self-hating. We are going to grow in maturity, in resilience, and in love for others. And that's why it's important. Life in the first century was really hard. Infant mortality was huge. There was plague. There was war. There was persecution, especially around Ephesus, where there had been this cult of Artemis. And that was dominant. But Paul doesn't pray for anything to do with the circumstances of the people to whom he's writing. He's saying to them, this is the most important thing I can ever pray for you, that you be rooted and grounded in love. He's saying, if you can welcome Jesus in more and more, if you can draw on his resources more and more, if you can appreciate his love more and more and more, you're going to rise above those circumstances of plague and pestilence and war and persecution. All of us have suffered a great disorientation these last two years, haven't we, with this pandemic? We're all reeling. We're all tired. We're all disoriented. But this is the one thing we need above all else to be rooted and grounded in love. How do we get it? Here's some things that I've been thinking about this week. We need to have lives where we have regular, sustained, seeking prayer. Paul models how to pray several times in his letters. Jesus models how to pray in the Gospels. Hudson Taylor, founder of the Chinese Inland Mission. Hey, happy Chinese New Year, by the way. He prayed this prayer every day. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. We could start there. We we could pray that every day. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. But without some sort of discipline in our lives of regular prayer, we're likely to have some phoniness and inauthenticity in our Christian lives. We need to pray. Then there's kneeling. How can I have a sense of his love on my life? Paul says, I kneel before the Father, verse 14. Kneeling isn't just a a posture of praying, it's a way of submitting. Cliff Richard sings about me. You got a high IQ, but shame on you, you get D, D in love. How, How can I have this sense of his love in my life? I need to kneel before the Father. I need to submit. And I need to demonstrate this submission I found that um, the app uh, Lectio 365 has been helpful. Hands up who uses that, Lectio 365. Wow, there's actually a score of you in the church. Uh, in, this, um, in this way of praying, every morning and evening, the acronym PRAY is used. 
There is pausing, and then there is reflecting on a passage, and then there is asking God for things, and then there is yielding to his will in our lives. We need that. We need to kneel before the Father. And then there is community. Did you notice in verse 18, Paul prays, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. We're not going to get this love. We're not going to understand it very much. We're not going to draw on it very much without church, without each other. We need to do it in community. We need to be involved in community. In Above Bar Church, our mission, you can see it on the website, is to make and mature disciples. We have a kind of discipleship menu. If you look at the sheets, uh, the cards that have been given to you there, there's a menu there of various things that can help you in community, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. As you get older in the faith, of course, the onus is a bit more on you to seek out community. The onus is a bit more on you, as Callum was saying, to maybe start a home group, lead a home group. But it's very, very important. And here we have all sorts of things, uh, marriage enrichment, journey to wholeness, formation school, um, a menu of things to help us to go deeper together in community so we can grasp the dimensions of Christ's love. But there is something else that you need to do on your own. And that is meditation. In verse 18, Paul says this, I pray that you may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now that word grasp is taken from the Greek Olympics. In Greek, it actually means to wrestle. It's a strange word. Paul is saying, I want you to wrestle this love of God. I want you to wrestle with it. And I think what he's doing there is inviting meditation and thought. I want, to re- I want you to wrestle in your minds with how much God loves you. I want you to fill your mind with truth. And so to attempt to grasp, I want to lead us into a meditation now using our text in verse 18 to help us. This is the kind of thing that we do when we meditate. Let's have a look at the dimensions of of the Lord's love, how wide it is. The wideness of God's love refers to how accepting he is. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come, let's reason together. Your sins, even though they're scarlet, can be made white as snow. What he's saying there is, even if you've got blood on your hands, you've murdered someone, he can wash you white. In other words, his mercy is so wide, there is no one, whatever they have done, who is beyond the reach of his love. That is how wide his love is. How long is his love? The longness of his love refers to how lasting it is. Remember Jesus said, 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. We might fall over in the hand of God. We can never, ever fall out. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. When did God's love start for you? When did it begin? We read, we read in Paul's letters that the lamb was slain for you before the foundation of the world. God's love never had a start. It is infinitely long. How high is God's love for you? This is the love that exalts us, that lifts us up, that raises us up with Christ. He's already said, you are seated with him in heavenly places right now. It's the love that lifts us from the gutter to glory. It is infinitely high. How deep is the love of God? Well, without Jesus, God's love is just abstract, like it is in the Quran. In the Quran, we have God is this, God is that, but it's never demonstrated. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ, God went down into the deepest pit, and he went down and down and down and down for us. The deepest part of our planet is the Mariana Trench. It's a mile deeper than Mount Everest is tall. It's never been explored. No one can ever plumb its depths, and nor can we plumb the depths of the love of God. What does it cost for God to love you? Everything. It cost him everything. His love is so great, and therefore Paul says nothing now is impossible for him. And it's by this kind of meditation that the Spirit quickens us, and Jesus becomes more real and more precious to us. But we do need to make some time for it. Sometimes we need to go on a long walk with God and talk things over and meditate on scriptures like that. So in conclusion, Paul is praying for us to experience more of Christ, to welcome him into every aspect of our lives and therefore to be strengthened in our inner man. And this is important, because only this love will really change us and enable us to grow. Rules won't change us. We have to bask in his love. But we do need disciplines. We do need community. And we do need personal meditation and prayer. But when we see that, we see that our prayers have huge potential to affect things as he reminds us in the last two verses here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.